would be an understatement to say that 2020 has been a hell of a year, both inside and outside the game of Magic. And with such a polarizing journey for the world's greatest card game, picking out the highs and lows has been at times both easy and nuanced. So where did we land on this packed year, and what events and developments stood out to us as pivotal for the game? Welcome to Magic the Flavoring, the Magic the Gathering podcast. We talk about all things magic flavor, design, and lore. It's your boy, Andy Man. <laughs> What's up? This is NC Cancel. That's not, that's not my initials. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Good, start to the I episode. Thought what, what, I was, what I thought I'd do for our last episode of the uh, of the year is to like maybe like shake up our personas a little bit. And... Um, Immediately, I hate it. You took no, me so off guard. Like you took me <laughs> off guard so much. I forgot my name. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, like what our record process is, basically what happens is, is we hit record. Me and Nathan natter for about seven to eight minutes uh, about just general life, and then we just jump into it and go. Um, and yeah, I, I do try and trip you up from time to time, and today it's worked. But like, I genuinely yeah. was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if I'll just try doing because at the end, like, I, we've done fifty three episodes now, and I've said that sentence the same way for about fifty of them. Every once in a mm-hmm. while, I think oh, maybe I'll try a different cadence or a different way of opening up. Nah, yeah, that, it's a time when you went and I was like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? This isn't how we start the episode. You can't break the norm. Uh, anyway, uh, good, amazing. Hello, everybody. Well, how are we you doing? Know what? It segues quite nicely into what we're talking about today about looking back over the year and how things have progressed and how things have developed and and breaking the norm in better or worse ways. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about. The year 2020 for Magic the Gathering and the highs and the lows. And I mean, I think we should just probably sidestep like outside of Magic the Gathering year 2020 highs and lows because we all know what's been going on there. But I don't know really if Magic's been any less polarizing or controversial compared to just absolutely everything else as well. It seems to have gone if not informed by, but definitely hand-in-hand hand with yeah. just the world at the moment. has been a fucking doozy. <laughs> like in everything, it's, it's been just a, been a doozy. So, it's been a real yeah. test, right? And do you know what? Magic, as I say, has been absolutely no different. This year has seen some of the most pivotal push-forwards and innovations and some of the most regressive pullbacks and uh, shitstorms, I'm just going to say. I mean... Yeah, we're we're going to do two thirds, uh, two thirds good, one third bad today because uh, I know there are other content creators and stuff. There's lots of people doing years and review from their own different slants and skews, and some people will dedicate whole episodes to the good and the bad, and some people will focus on one or the other. Um, but I I sort of think it's worth remembering with the two thirds good, one third bad. I think it's worth remembering that there's been a lot of good this year, uh, and the bad stuff is really bad, but the good stuff has been also really really good. So that's what I kind of want to talk about today. Um, there are lots of stuff that's been going on in Magic as well that aren't necessarily from our our sort of slant and our skew, but we can't ignore them. So 
as weather in this uh, podcast, you know, it's in our name, Magic the Flavoring, we always try to talk about uh, things from a flavor perspective, from the art, the uh, abilities to storytelling, the narrative design, the flavor text, all these kinds of things that make this an artistic endeavor as opposed to one that's uh, maybe about corporate issues or about professional play. And obviously all these things inform each other and that's the beauty of this game. So I think it's worth remembering that there's been lots going on that are probably a lot worse and a lot better than the things we talk about in this episode today. Mm. If we say that something is the worst of the year 2020 in regards to, oh, we didn't like an artwork or something about the story, it is absolutely not the worst thing that happened to Magic this year <laughs> uh, within the larger <laughs> context of the game. And I don't want to basically have us sit here and go, oh, I didn't like this. And then we forget about all of the uh, racial, gender, sexuality inequalities that's been going on in the game <laughs> this year. In yeah. Also things to do with corporate greed, uh, pricing structures, uh, internal power struggles at the company. Uh, it doesn't it, sound it, great when you list it out, does it? <laughs> it doesn't sound great. I suppose in a, in a morbid way, a lot of it has been to do with the flavour of this game. Like We can't skirt around the fact that this year Magic shit-canned two of its most prominent artists in Noah Bradley and Therese Nielsen officially. Those issues, weirdly enough, the things that were really egregious about this year, you can kind of see it in two different lights. It's the kind of thing of where the game went through, especially with things like um, the advent of Black Lives Matter and a big push for uh, gender and uh, sort of sexual identity equality and equity in the game. These aren't issues that just happened this year. I think this is my point that I'm trying to get to. They're not things that just went, well, 2020, it started and ended in 2020. Not only will it not end in 2020, and these will be issues and things that will be developed and worked on and analysed and picked apart and fought for for years and years to come. The issues didn't start in 2020 either. These have been ingrained things for a long time. So as much as I suppose we could say it's terrible this year that 2020, the worst thing that happened to Magic were that these artists turned out to be complete assholes. And the best thing of 2020 is that Wizards actually grew a backbone and took some action against them eventually after much lobbying and after much like people sort of saying, like, you need to look at your artists and the way that they conduct themselves. Really, it's not a 2020 issue. This is just an issue in the game on large. Mm. Um, and the same with when, I mean, God, just looking back at this so much to look back on, like the all the cards that got um, outright banned and pretty much disowned by Watsi because of the advent of Black Lives Matter movement. Those mm-hmm. cards weren't printed this year. <laughs> like, nope. They've always and, been an issue. And they even said they were going to go back and, and reevaluate, and they never had. That was that was one of the things that I felt like that was first the Wizards' first um, obvious slant. At, we're trying to make everyone happy, but it, we're, we're being very transparent about how opaque it is. So, yeah, I think it's it's been... I think they've realised, obviously, with this year, and this has been a year of um, you're allowed to air your opinions and, 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 and you say, lobby most um, subject matters to the public um, to the public, and have them kind of dictate what is and isn't right. Uh, because I feel like that should be how de- democratic um, opinion should be. You know, there should be a consensus of what is acceptable and not cons- acceptable. Obviously, this can form issues, but Wizards has been held up for it now. And for there are a lot of fashions, they've done good. But I think that was the first time I saw them go, oh, we're going to pretend that we're listening to you as long as it doesn't hurt. Because did they ban any cards that are worth a lot of money that are, you know, not really, not really. I mean, I'm not saying that Rhystic Studies being a popular and expensive card made much difference as to why they took a while to do something with Therese Nielsen. But there was a slight transparency there where you could see as a company, you're like, oh, maybe I don't believe in your philosophies. Even when you're trying to do good, it makes you look bad. Mm. And it is interesting, especially with things like artworks, where um, they're either 
it's art by artists that maybe have proven themselves to not be representative of the game or the kind of people that we want working on the game, but also artworks and uh, sort of art directions, which people have kind of gone, ah, maybe you're still just hitting a bit of a deft tone. Um, if you haven't noticed, by the way, this is what we think is maybe the lower end of the year, <laughs> the flavor lows of the year. These definitely aren't the flavor highs. Like even as if, as recent as uh, Commander Legends, uh, we've had artworks for legendary creatures, which people have kind of thought maybe are a bit tonally deaf to certain cultures, or yeah. maybe are appropriation not of like the most egregious level that we need to shut the game down, especially not not compared to um, some of the issues flagged up during the advent and height of Black Lives Matter, but just are continually proving to be like, look, we need to be better as a game. Art direction needs to be better. Money mm. from the top needs to be put in places which are actually progressive and not just about boosting sales every left, like left, yeah. right, and center. There's still um, obvious ignorance being on display, and that's not a bad thing if you tackle it and you handle it in the moment. It is a bad thing if you ignore it. Um, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's there's a difference between realizing, I guess, that some individuals are maybe malicious is not the wrong word, but are wantonly um, yeah, sort of tone deaf in their approach Wanton. versus yeah versus things which are maybe just look we know you weren't trying to be assholes with what you were trying to do here. However, mm-hmm. this does affect people in a certain way and you mm-hmm. need to kind of like be better as a company. And and one of one of the better things of this year is that at least <laughs> at least on surface level, which is enough to hold them accountable to it in the future, at least on a surface level, Wizards of the Coast have tried to move themselves in a direction, maybe as a response to this year as a whole and all these mm-hmm. issues kind of come up to the surface this year, are trying to hold themselves up to that higher degree. The recent um uh statements that they released about um pushing story forward uh in a mm. way that the, they want to tell the stories they want to tell regardless of regional or uh national restrictions in other countries mm. um i mean read that however you will uh, a lot of people took it to mean that the storylines involving uh non-heterosexual normative characters in countries where not being heterosexual is punishable crime or in some countries is punishable by death, you know, which is a horrific like slant against our entire race, let alone, you know, our silly little card game. Um, some people have seen that as being quite a, a sort of hard step forward. Other people have seen it mm-hmm. as being just a bit of a, a corporate soundbite that they can use to be like, hey, we are trying to fix things. Look at our statement that we made last year. And really the proof will be in the pudding as it is always. Yeah. Um, at least they're making that statement. Exactly. They're making yeah, a statement least- which people will have to hold them accountable to. Exactly. And that's more than a lot of companies will give you. So, yeah, yes. I think it's obviously difficult for them because they've obviously got a lot of um, eyes on them in various directions. And there was obviously a big push because they lost uh, what Hasbro lost out at Toys R Us and they had this big hole financially. This is something we'll probably come on to in, with other other things as we're talking. But this need to make up that financial um, loss probably they feel a lot of pressure in making sure not only is the product going out but the message they're sending out is good and obviously public opinion as i've said this year has been much more obvious and much more vocal um and the easiest way to solve these problems is to set these buffers out but then also to employ the people within the company that will ensure these things are followed through on um it's very easy to say to to, to have an empathetic opinion about other things but it's very difficult to understand them unless you involve people that are integrated into those parts of society into those groups into those Mm. um you know demographics um and i think that's going to be the big push over the next couple of years if they do integrate people to allow them to do this in a way that works or if they're just going to still be a bunch of you know like people people of nameless faces saying things without meaning and without any um uh, backup so that'll be an interesting thing to see over the next year or so it's good that they're making these statements though and they are drawing a line um 100%. i don't think it's too little too late 
I just think it needs to be the beginning of a movement, not the final statement. 100%. I mean, Wizards as a company, or at least Magic the Gathering as a company, um, as a sort of subsidiary of uh, Wizards of the Coast, compared to any other game ever in any sphere, whether it's video games or card games or board games or whatever, has an unprecedented front-facing sort of presence. You look at, you know, if you mention names Gavin Verhey, Mark Rosewater, Cynthia Shepard, Ethan Fleischer, like, these people call to mind you know, the company, whether they even work, some of them don't even work for the company anymore, but that you recognize them as being these front-facing sort of public uh, engaging figures of the company and, you know, whether that's to their betterment or their detriment when they get shit thrown at them for stuff that's not their fault. Um, no other game does this. And so you can argue that really Wizards already does way more in terms of public engagement and public reassurance than anyone else. The problem is, is that, as you say, these things ring hollow unless they're acted upon. So hopefully they will continue pushing forwards and continue innovating in this area and actually yeah fix the problems that they say, that they claim to know are problems themselves um and yeah only time will tell um so these things aren't necessarily on our like list of like flavor highs and lows of the year but i just thought it was you could you can't mention the year of 2020 and magic the gathering without looking back and going holy shit there was a lot of stuff that went on this year. And yeah, nothing that we say in this list, especially in the uh, in the things that we're upset about, even come close to actually being as important as some of the bigger stuff in the year. Um, but we like to focus on on like, yeah, some of the some of the more like aesthetic aspects of the game, I suppose. And there are things that on a ground level, on a base level of engaging with this game as a narrative device or as an artistic hobby, there are also things that went wrong this year as well as the company at large, I suppose. Um, so, yeah. God, it's an exhausting... 2020's been exhausting, mate. This is this is my going to be something we'll probably t- tail off the uh, episode with, but yeah, it has been a long year. Surprisingly, for having more time on my hands, um, it's felt like I've had <laughs> less time to... to, to appreciate things and um and mellow um, and sit on things like i don't know my day-to-day life has become more open but my my minute to minute is way more occupied with opinion um so yeah it's, it's been tough it's been tough to kind of finish off feeling light and airy which is like my general disposition i feel as you say uh, quite heavy it's been a dense a very dense year um, it has been a dense year and yeah all right so let's let's weave out then so moving past all of the uh actually important horrible shit that happened this year <laughs> uh what's some of the stuff that you've kind of felt within your engagement of the hobby and and kind of what you expected from this year especially seeing the sets and the products that were going to be released this year what were some of the flavor misses and some of the the kind of aesthetic misses that you thought that the game just, just didn't really live up to this year yeah so this is how i yeah this is how i kind of came across my like my my main downfall of this year and that's um that i looked across the entire year of all the different sets that came out everything that got released not this not this september just gone but last september before when they gave that um prospected year out and they gave us theorists beyond death the Coria, the core set and zendikar rising and it looked like it was going to be an amazing year going forward so the thing i think um that really slipped up this year from a um aesthetic story point of view is that theorists beyond death the kick off to the year which got released what 21st of january or whatever um mm. all those months and months and months ago um severely lacked in resonance in story resonance um and i feel like this kind of keyed the rest of the year off like kind of poorly because it set an expectation for the rest of the year that things weren't going to be living up to the expectation that we had um the problem with theorists beyond death is that it came off the back of the um war of the spark debacle we shall call it, you know, in terms of story that was not handled in a way that people um, liked. There was a general feeling of, of, of 
um, unhappiness. And I feel like Theorists Beyond Death probably suffered from this the most, specifically because it's the only set that I know of that they actually pulled the story from. Um, and I think this, regardless of whether or not that story was going to be like as as bad as Forsaken War of the Spark, um, or you know as good as say uh, the Unsounded Bond, I think pulling a story that late into a set's um, creation and 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 exposure to to the audience is a horrific idea. And I've got a litany of reasons as to why this happened. But I think that that for me was the biggest failure is that they kicked off the year with a hollow a set that was essentially. Um, lacked any kind of resonance so that so the rest of the year's products kind of had a feeling of oh are they not going to do it justice is it not going to go so well and that's not what you want you want the year going forward to be full of confidence you want your your audience to be like hell yeah that's that's how you start the year let's go and i'm gonna yeah. say for from my point of view the end of the year i'm this this has been an amazing year for magic products and i'm exceptionally happy looking back and finally at the beginning of theorist i, I even thought maybe it was end of 20, 20 2019 and kind of wished it was because looking at it in terms of this year i do feel like it was yeah the beginning of of bad feelings that they thankfully you know got rid of by the end of the year but for me that was yeah a bad start to the year um, i mean interestingly my when we didn't talk about like what we were going to pick as our kind of highs and lows across the year and for me the biggest low if we're looking at a, a flavor thing for how the game was affected as a narrative storytelling device the the big loss of this year i agree with you 100 my one was the theorist beyond death storyline just being completely cat candid as you say there was a there was a story that got pulled and the the rumor is is that it wasn't just a, a a blowback after the 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 War of the Spark and the War of the Spark Forsaken novels because that's that was the official kind of line that a lot of the narrative leads kind of put out there was like oh well after the blowback of all this uh, we wanted to vet vetting was the word that kind of got banded around mm. whereas the the hard rumor that was never fully confirmed or really denied by anyone um, was that it was going to be another Greg Wiseman novel so they got him to do a multi book deal and that he was going to be one of the driving forces across the year for some of the the ebooks that were going to kind of happen um and the fact that after the two uh, war of the spark novels they couldn't have him do another one so there is the rumor that somewhere in the watsy vaults there is a fully formed book for the Theros story that is waiting to be released but never will be because people would just be like this guy again absolutely no way um mm. so yeah there's like that's the rumor at least i don't know how like true that is but there's definitely there was definitely notes and definitely admissions by Watsy that there is a th- larger th- story um, that they did try to put out on those law slides that they did. This was like the kind of the advent <laughs> of the law slides, the misspelled, misrepresented law slides that didn't tell the story correctly. And I mean, there were so many big characters in Theros to wrap up not only to wrap up the uh, Elsapeth sort of story arc on that plane and the Daxos story arc on that plane there was also things like uh, the new planeswalker Calyx and the new god they had a whole new god that was like born um, that they didn't touch at all like really in Mm. the storyline there was whole things with titans and the uprising of the underworld and and like the fights between the gods all these massive story threads that not only none did of get, none of them really got chased up either in sort of a narrative form, they got barely elucidated on those fucking law slides. And then mm. the cards were, I mean, as much like with sets like Theros and um, things like Amonkhet, for example, and the upcoming Kaldheim sets, all those ones that are based on real world mythologies and sort of um, pantheons of gods and stuff, 
you can almost forgive them for not having a magic the gathering narrative because really you're just looking for those uh, signifiers like oh what's the zeus card going to be what's the thor mm-hmm. card going to be etc etc and you could be forgiven um for or you could forgive them for basically only having those signifiers and then loosely putting a story on that would be fine i guess but they didn't do that in the last Zero set. They gave us. They had a book for the last Zero set because the, the web fiction wasn't something that was really a thing back last time we went to Theros. They had books. So where's our fucking story? Mm. <laughs> like it's just it not there. Significantly more story with the original Theros set. Yes, they had three blo- um, three sets to do this with. Um, but looking as 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 you say, the, there are three massive story arcs in here. One Elspeth coming back from the death, which is clearly the focus of why they went back there. For what reason? We don't fucking know. We're probably not going to find out for another year and a half as to why they needed Elspeth back in the story so badly. Um, that's also ignoring the fact that Ashok has something to do with that in the background. Ignoring that side of it. Um, the way I <laughs> the funny thing I find is that because it was an Elspeth set, um, obviously all the story spotlight cards were based on her now if you look at the four story um, story spotlight cards agonizing remorse triumphant surge relentless pursuit a helios punishment what i've written is helios i'm sorry elspeth sad elspeth mad elspeth run elspeth won because that's basically (laughs) what it is and that's all you need to know but there's no there's no like even with the as you say the daxos hint in the first one they don't have any um, expansion on that there's a bloody there are titans titans that were released older than the gods and that never explored never explained only two of them one of them broke the format fantastic good job there's a gods war with demigods going on in the background here again Mm -hmm. who cares and then one of the most biggest things not only has a has a god created a planeswalker but yep. we have no idea how she made him or how he became a planeswalker. Now, yeah, that's absurd. The, the, the changing of the metaphysics of what can even be a planeswalker. There's yeah. so... I mean, you're right. I mean, you're. Right. I didn't even mention Ashiok when I was doing my little rant about it. Ashiok's <laughs> still there in the background. The demigods... <laughs> Not only are the demigods a thing, but some of them, uh, a couple of them are returning characters, which we only saw on flavor text, which is very mm-hmm. kind of cool, like Caliphate. But also... <laughs> What two of them are characters that we did have cards for? Three of them, sorry, that are characters that we did have cards yeah. for. Uh, came back in this new demigod form with no real explanation as to how yeah. that's suddenly now demigods. How is Daxos not returned anymore? Like all these questions that would have an amazing. This is kind of why we would have been excited initially to go there because we get more hint of the underworld, how the underworld works, how it integrates with the story. And I think we did this. I think we beat this to death when we talked about it originally. But the fact mm. that they weren't able to decide on whether they wanted to co- concentrate on the mortal realm and everything that was going on there, or on the underworld realm, the fact that the set kind of didn't even seem to have a diversity between these two, and you couldn't really tell the cards apart. Some Sometimes, like, is a Dried of Elysium Grove in, in, in regular Theros or, or in Nyx? Like, all of this, all of this inconsistency is because there was no defined, there was no definement whatsoever. Like, what I've put is that none of the story was cohesive or defined, leaving everything in this weird gully in the middle, this weird puddle of going, well, how do we, how do we highlight these different things? Like, is Crocs a, a cool dude to this eternal hungering titan? Doesn't matter. Don't know. Don't care. Like, mm. that's absurd. I mean, Uro, for, for, I mean, even Uro, for all that he's worth in terms of being strong cards, because this is the thing, Theros did release ridiculously strong cards between um, Thassa's Oracle, Uro, Underworld Breach, even something like Woe Strider. Like, they printed some really powerful cards that affected formats, like, across, um, ac- across the... Um, across formats formats across formats good i mean it's interesting i didn't even mention that again in the start of the episode when we were running down all the external things in magic that almost completely broke the game the fact that we've had more bannings than any other period of magic and cards Mm -hmm. that have literally ruined formats (laughs) yeah and arguably people wanted these 
these wanted most of the bannings that happened people wanted them to happen earlier normally it's like why are you banning things don't ban things for this it was everyone's outcry why aren't you banning these cards why aren't you banning your premier mythic cards that are worth the most money in this oh right okay good job wizards <laughs> you know it's a self-answering question and it's funny that this is the kind of thing that they ended up focusing on because this is a perfect example of where you have a really cool set um, with a returning set, a fan favourite set, and everything's just kind of left as a grey sludge because the story side of it isn't fleshed out, isn't recompensed. Okay, you took a book away, fine. Then decide. I guess at this point it's too late. You've got everything in the set and you can't necessarily explain all of it, but... I don't know, maybe then expand on Elspeth's... Oh, wait, they did expand on Elspeth's story, didn't they? They gave, like, a little tiny blurby thing. And at the end of it, it was Calix thought wanted to Planeswalk and did. And that's that's your... that's That was your your, your extrapolation on yeah. it. Like, if that is the... Like, yeah, so this frustration, I think, is because... It was a set, as I say, that people wanted to go back to. They wanted to understand more about. But not only was the story flaccid, but there was no real expansion on the lore of the set of, of the plane. And everything within the plane that was expanded was expanded without explanation. So from a Vortho side, we kind of still don't know much more about Theros. It's a lot It's a lot messier. It's a lot muddier. We don't really necessarily know what going back to. Heliod's trapped under a blind... You know, he's... um. What's, what's his name? Atlas now. Does it matter? Yeah. Not really. You know, whatever the gravity yeah. of last step where he turned around and killed Elspeth after she fucking deicided Xenagos. What a triumphant end to the set, and this is what we got left with. Yeah. Um, even the even the advert for the trailer for it was showed such a depth to her emotion, and we get nothing. Oh my gosh. The trailer seemed to have so much going on for storylines that just never existed otherwise. In the trailer, if you remember, mm. Ashiok is doing the Dreamweavery stuff. I mean, it's a little bit vague still, but doing some Dreamweaver magic on um, Elspeth. Elspeth sees herself as a child who then turns around with a zombie face, like which is unusual on Theros because the zombie faces are hidden behind the return masks. She's in the underworld in the big sort of um, sea, which you like kind of forget yourself in. And there's all these different things. None of it, not a single thread was picked up on. Not a single mm. one. They went in a completely different direction. And the trailer, yeah. the team who did the trailer must have had access to the most up-to-date story threads. So they must have... It can't just be that yeah. they went and did off. They, they did their own thing. Or if they did do their own thing, how was it not like the greater sort of narrative design or the people who are in charge of making sure it's all coherent, if there's anyone in charge of making sure it's all coherent? Because that's another issue for this, this year. Who didn't go to the trailer team and go... Oh, by the way, could you include something about like the fact that the gods are warring with each other, or the fact there's a new god, or the fact that there's Titans? Yeah, you put something. In? No one told them. Mm. Yeah, it felt like and two when different. They, oh, when they put that trailer, when they finally showed that trailer to like the Watsy like board, did no one stick up their hand and go, "Oh, sorry, did we not tell you actually what the set was about?" <laughs> like, mm. I just I don't blame the trailer team at all. Like, I know it's all they did too, they did too good a job the problem is because i think the set definitely had um a, a failing in that it wanted to focus on this ashiok elspeth aspect which it would have been amazing because it finishes the story arc kind of finished off with ashiok not learning about the frexians from going into artist's mind and going oh that's interesting let's go off because that was an interesting point as well ashiok fucking off at the end to go and you know integrate with the frexians that's really cool but mm. they also then had like you say this this whole other side um this whole demigod warring on 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 the mortal them the mortal realm which never again never really came to anything so all of the interventions all of the demigod cards they all kind of just feel kind of meh you know mm. like the two titans were cool and you're like great but because you don't get anything about them they're kind of meh like the planeswalkers were okay yeah fair enough like they've got some gravity but none of them really do anything in the set so they're all kind of meh 
and the whole set just eventually feels a little bit meh and as, as an escape mechanic being like well, their premier mechanic for the set all I wanted to do was escape from the set so <laughs> I guess that was one of the few things that actually resonated it's um, so funny like talking about Clothis and uh, who's the green uh, red god in the set and Calyx being these like new characters which have like apparently significance in the story if you look at it from just a, a meta like perspective a god on a plane where the gods are simply manifestations of belief managed to create from nothing a planeswalker who then subsequently did actually planeswalk to a different plane where the gods have no influence, which was a big part of the storyline last time, was how the gods knew that their power was only confined to their own plane and that made them jealous of planeswalkers. Yeah. What? I know. what? It's bizarre. Right? So <laughs> no, your own creation has ascended beyond you. I mean, Clothis is interesting in that regard because um, obviously she, I think we've got a little bit more um, of a hint from her recently with, um, uh, what, what's their name from, oh, we've got a hint of a Caldine planeswalker, the uh, non-binary planeswalker who also is from theros another person who challenged their fate now that's funny enough sure. we got more we got more information about clothis from a planeswalker from caldheim a year later in terms of timing for a set that we did about her from her own set now that is mm. again blows my mind and i really hope what it means is that because there was a difficulty in having to you know pull the rug on the storyline and then having to fumble everything together with some lord slides it was obviously always going to be a bit of a mess what i hope is that it sets it up to have some real deep metaphysical law between the titans and the gods when we go back that's the only thing that i feel like kind of, kind of comes good from this is that they know that it probably fell flat i mean the one thing that wizards has done very very well this year is respond to feedback whether it's vacuously or um or, or done it in a way that's actually heartfelt and sincere um is they're very good at responding to feedback and i think most Vorthosians, or most people kind of did speak about Theros feeling a bit flat, and I think they'll address that when they go back. Sure. Um, um, so, Nico yeah. Aris is the uh, Caldheim non-binary planeswalker. Um, one of the, I mean, this isn't going to be something that I don't think we'll talk about in depth because Caldheim is is twenty twenty one, but definitely a triumph for this year, having at the tail end of the year uh, characters, which, as you say, seems to be if not a response, because these design things take longer than a year, I think, as we sort of always talk mm. about, if it looks like they've done something immediately, it's probably because they've actually been doing it for a while. It's just, you know, uh, production is a lot slower than the zeitgeist, you know. Um, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, one of the big triumphs that will be in 2021 is a greater representation in the characters that are the face cards of the game, as it were. Mm. Um, I mean, but this is funny. So Theros is kind of like our case study for what went wrong this year with the flavour. And it is definitely a hangover from the 2019 uh, debacle uh, that was the War of the Spark culmination. But it, it does go beyond the Theros stuff, right? And it's funny because, uh, to kind of jump ahead, one of my flavor wins this year will be the return of web fiction. And again, this is something that probably during the time of Theros and Ikoria, they knew they were going to be doing web fiction for Zendikar. At least I assume so, because I don't think it's, you know... It, they. I, I would like to think that they took longer to write than, say, like a month, um, those kind of short stories. Well, they might have done. Um, but the the kind of the dissonance between what we were seeing on the cards and the story did carry on into a courier with the Django Wexler book. Yeah, and yeah I've got this written down here as well. That I feel like, like by the end of it, when we got to Zendikar, we got positivity, but it was there was a journey to get to there. Sure, and Django Wexler is no slouch. Like again, this isn't an issue of the writer, unless unless Watsy can lay down proof that they gave Wexler notes and he just went nope and just kind of like completely ignored them or whatever. Like this is definitely an issue which Watsy needs to address, and even with the advent of return of web fiction, might be something they need to address still further because again, there are there are still 
um, issues. And it's the, the cognitive dissonance between what's on the cards and what is in the story. Even to the even to the thing of like what colour the Ozolith is. And this is like to be like to kind of be specific about it, if people haven't read the Sundered Bond in the book, <laughs> it describes the Ozolith as being this large orange crystal. <laughs> right. Card, it's a large blue, blue. crystal. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the crystals in general, they never really decided because in the trailer they were oh. green. I know that they're the one of the chimes. I know that different chimes have different coloured ones, but yeah, you've got to have some consistency so there somewhere. There's only so much artistic um, representation that can happen when you, it's like, no, dude, like you've got to dictate these things to your artists and your yeah. storytellers. Like and you're, you're the one you know, world building, you know, like build the world so people can write story. For the journey of like certain characters as well just got completely like skewed like the lucas storyline on the cards he was you know someone who was wrongfully thrown out of dranith and then formed a bond with a a a monster and then came back and was like yeah bonders are actually the way forwards in the book he was someone who yes wrongfully got chucked out of his city then formed an an unwilling bond with a monster and then went on to abuse and basically um coerce monsters in a fascist totalitarian dictatorship manner to go and destroy the city in an effort to like rebuild it like it's yeah. just the, the stories are completely different on the cards yeah. or in the story screw, screw you fans that liked luca based on his card oh <laughs> yeah you. so many people were like oh luca and his pet tiger and then the, the, the son of bond came out and it was like <laughs> oh no luca and his pet tiger luca what are you yeah. doing you don't want from um, a multimedia f- format so you don't want there to be this difference as you say this word this dissonance uh, there shouldn't be this there should be cohesion in your storytelling yeah. across across the cards and across your um, novels and maybe that is the issue you know like they are they are looking in the future to doing more multimedia projects this year something that kind of went under the radar because i don't it's not something that you or i are engaged in and in fact i don't think it's something that many of the hardcore like um paper players engaging that might be a sweeping generalization i don't know and i don't know because it's so under the radar at least in the uk is the fact that this year they've also released quite a few like mobile games and non-arena digital games there's been a few like there's been two or three where they've been like it's the magic ip stapled onto a completely different sort of game system so they are looking to be multimedia based there's the ever um, delayed and sort of secretive Chandra Nalar Netflix TV show. It's just never going to happen. It's never going to happen. They cancelled a comic book and eventually cancelled this. I mean, that's just me being um, like realistic. I think that they might struggle to translate everything up onto the big screen. If they struggle so much in representing the character in written words and having to make apologies and fake apologies and regional apologies, I don't know, that might be... or Unless the statement they made at the end of this year was kind of with that in mind, um, which I hope to but it's, it's, I think, yeah, the big sort of takeaway, it was the s- struggle to have their IP go across multiple formats. They mm. wanted to do the push with the ebooks away from the web fiction so that I think they could start moving back into an area which they'd already done but hadn't been successful in. They realized the story and the narrative were very important, hence why the build up and the expectation for War of the Spark was so great at the end of 2019. The fact then that they were like, right, we're going to hit home on this. We're actually going to make like Magic the Gathering literature, something that's available in bookstores for people that don't necessarily play the game. Here we go. We're going to do all these eBooks and the move into multimedia and maybe the pullback and the foot off the gas trying to do this TV show and doing all these other games, I think is as a result of them realizing that 
the player base is still the main draw for this game, as it should be, because it's a game and we're players. So if we're the ones that are unhappy going, look, your storyline and your cards are now completely out of sync because you're spreading yourself too thin, seemingly, then I think this is maybe the larger issue. Maybe the 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 kind of small issue, or Theros didn't feel like it had a story, Ikoria's story didn't match up with the cards. These are actually just symptoms of the larger thing of this year, Watsy failed to put enough resources into being a multimedia company as opposed mm-hmm. to a card game that happens to have a Saturday morning cartoon TV show. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not the end anymore. You can't yeah, just do is, that. It's a direct, I think, um, symptom of the fact that they do as they need to make this push to generate. I think it was three times the profit they made last year in the game to to make up for, for other failings within the, within the company. And this is where company um, ethics and company uh, priorities kind of do affect the game on a on, on every level from a story point of view to the cards they're printing i reckon a lot of the reason why there's so many banned cards is because there is a push to make the powerful cards make the, the formats exciting ban if you need to rather than saying maybe the player base needs a lukewarm set that everything brings everything like even um, ostensibly like um Eldraine looked like it was a power down set and if you look at it it's not in any way shape or form no. they had to ban they had to ban lucky clover for fuck's sake like it's crazy um and that <laughs> and that was supposed to be like a nice like step down in power level and yeah. clearly it's not something they can do effectively i think theros was probably actually the only set in the year that did a good job of not inundating any format with something too horrifically broken underworld breach being maybe the no-no but you know graveyard effects um well, well yeah uro as well but i mean uro wasn't necessarily multi-format um depending that was more that that was that was the the oko of the set and i feel like that's that's the problem is they're gonna always push to make things that little bit too powerful and then bring it back by banning it then underpowering it and then trying to find ways in the next set to elevate that that i mean i don't don't get me wrong it's hard and it's tough i get it but there is obviously signs that there is a push to to for certain aspects of the of the game to be um more I mean, I think it's the same way in this way, the way that arena playing and playing in paper can be very, can feel very different. Um, there are certain effects and everything they, they say they won't put on cards because it won't translate well to arena. Now, that's, to me, a big no-no because I know that they need to push um, sales in towards arena. But if you're kind of changing your your design philosophy based on a digital format of the game when it's a card game, that's when I feel like the issue is arising. And maybe that's where these cards like Oko and Uro and, you know, something like Scoot Swarm, um, Scape to Worlds, these kinds of effects that are exacerb- um, cumulatively powerful. Um, and that's that's the issue, especially when you've got other games like Hearthstone to compare it to. The more those comparisons start to happen, which they will in digital forms, the more our cardboard paper game will be affected, I think. Um, sure but that's yeah so in general fine yeah. theros maybe just try try next time to to hold true to form or i don't know be more transparent about the fact that you took the story out i don't know yeah tough we'll see i mean the 2021 will be a new year I, i'm kind of hopeful that they're going to sort of hit these narrative beats a bit better especially with some of the good stuff that we saw at the end of the year um all right so that was our supposedly one third bad stuff and we're at the uh sort of 40 minute mark i think <laughs> um yeah well, there we go what are, like what are a few of some of the things that like you've come out of this year thinking do you know what? actually it's not all doom and gloom magic as a game is still holding its head high as being one of the best, if not the best game that's ever been created. Like, what's been a flavor win for you? Oh, this is gonna, this is gonna um, hot take uh, secret layers. Um, this is in a broader sense, though. What my title is: the power of um, extended or flexible art direction. Um, now we've seen um, how many, how many, how many secret layers do you think we've had since its inception? Um, I'm gonna go for thirty. 
yeah like you're 28 20, 29 including oh, me really? and that's not and that's and that's not that's me um culminating all of the different constellation ones in together as one instead of five individual ones with those five individual ones it's like 33 or 34 whatever um the reason i say this is between secret lair art styles and showcase art styles both things that have happened towards the end of 2019 but have had a full year of um expansion and exploration this year Oh my good God, the difference, if you can hold up um, three or four different uh, magic cards now that have, that look like they're com- from completely different planets, like they're from completely different um, IPs and different cards, everything, everything about them is diverse. Um, and I think this is fantastic because the way that they started doing um, Secret Lairs, um pushing the envelope for art styles then allowed them to integrate it into sets proper. Obviously our Drain was the first set to do this with, um, and I think it's still probably the best way of them doing it so far but it allowed them to do things like the comic book style um with um Ikoria. it's allowing them to do these um cool kind of stone um um architectural base ones in um cow time going forwards even the hedron effect like the the, the, the hedron explorative effect they had um for um zendikar rising i think all of these things make the game feel more dynamic visually and aesthetically and i think that's really important for a game not to stagnate i know they've done a lot of border upgrades across the years we even recently had one with a little holographic um and the way they took out the coloring at the bottom controversially maybe to some but these are the kinds of things that keep the game feeling diverse and as long as they do it within a story reasoning and this is why i think the showcase is a great example of this compared to say maybe to some of the secret layers i know we were talking about the manor rocks for example of if you push a direction so far it will stop feeling like a magic card cool fine fair enough but if you can integrate these art styles into showcase frames into ways that make it feel like it's part of that specific plane not just part of magic but from that plane that is a really good way of breaking that line between um storytelling and um functionality um, and I think that I think this year has been a really, really good example of that. If you let's say if you bring up multiple different secret lair products and um, different showcases, they look like they're from radically different games, but they all still fit within this magic aesthetics. I think they've done a very good job of diversifying that homogenized art style that we talked about last year with uh, Vorthos Mike. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting. My, my, my win for this, one of my big wins, is the art direction as well. But almost for the other end of the spectrum reason not to say that like i disagree with your point i completely 100% agree with your point but i think the art direction for this year of magic has just done so much in terms of bringing this game up to a new level cuz there's magic has been one of the most visually interesting games ever since its inception and you know you, you can you can look at like the 90s magic cards and the the sort of early 2000s magic cards and sort of sniff and turn your nose up at some of the art styles but the the kind of way it's captured people's imaginations is still something that holds true, even with those older cards. So Magic has never looked like bad, quote-unquote. It's never been an ugly-looking game, and some games out there have looked very ugly, and some card games have lived and died on the fact that their aesthetic didn't quite work. And Magic's never had that issue. But there's just something about the art this year, and it is to do with the diversity, but I don't necessarily think it's it's just to do with something like the secret layers. There's something about this year where it's just been pumped up to a new level. And I think the secret layers have opened the door to the company realizing that yes, there's merit in having slightly different art styles and maybe pushing the art styles as far as they can go. But it's also within the idea that some of these different uh, treatments of cards and cards that are already staples have opened up the door to having magic look like the like a new game within itself. So what I mean by that is, is that yes, you can have things like the secret layers where, 
you know, they staple another IP onto it. Like, I mean, this isn't a good thing. This is a terrible thing. But say, like, the Walking Dead ones, for example, where, mm. you know, it does. they don't look like magic cards. They look like promo shots for the Walking Dead. And they did things like the charity products, like, of a few years ago, things like the My Little Pony and the uh, Transformers ones that they did for Hasbro. We staple these different IPs on them, and they look like fantasy realism versions of those IPs. But you don't need to do that to make magic look like a sort of a new fresh take on magic and the thing that i i didn't actually uh think about this over the past couple few days when we thought about what our highs and lows were going to be it was actually only this morning that it kind of dawned on me that if i was to give someone a set of cards to be like look how much magic has leveled up this year in terms of its art style it wouldn't necessarily be the amazing constellation treatments that were in um Theros. It wouldn't necessarily be the fantastic comic book anime styles of Ikoria, or it wouldn't be the, you know, all the different showcases or all the different like new art treatments, or even just the standard art treatments of like within sets of people being able to give a little bit more room, like the Wiley Beckett Beckett's, or the fact that Tyler Jacobson has had an amazing year this year doing like really deep um sort of saturated colours in his Zendikar artworks and stuff like that. If you if there was one set that I had to be like, look how far magic has come, it would be Double Masters. Mm-hmm. Double Masters, the box topper alternate artworks that they did were phenomenal. And I still don't think they get half as much recognition that they should do for the game. Because people just went, oh, okay, they're box toppers, they're alternate arts, because I think a lot of people... I don't mean this is a diss on anyone, or we're a bit spoiled by the fact that this year they've taken the, you know, Japanese walkers throwing a bell drain showcases and they've applied it like ad hoc to every set they can. And, you know, even in things like Zendikar Rising, we didn't just have the the showcases of the the travel posters. We also had the expeditions like border with all the like hedron borders for all the different like fetch lands, mm. whatever that they did. But double masters just they they took cards that were iconic and had artwork that was iconic. And Cynthia Shepard was the uh, art director for Double Masters. I don't know. I can't confirm whether she was also the art director for those box toppers because sometimes they split it up. But I'm, I'm just going to, you know, for argument's sake, let's say it was Cynthia Shepard. They were able to give the artists enough legroom to be like, here are these iconic cards with already iconic looks do what you need to do to them. And not a single one of them. I looked over the list today, and I think maybe at the time I said there was a couple of duds, but looking back on them with kind of like fresh eyes, not a single one of those Double Masters artworks is a dud for me. Every single one of them brings something new and fresh and makes the card look absolutely fantastic. And not only, and this is my point when it comes to things like Secret Layers, not only are they doing this, but they're doing it without any kind of gimmick they're doing it without any kind of theme or IP stable on top. They're not doing dogs or like they're not making it look like, you know, Adventure Time or they're not going, oh, this is Walking Dead. They're doing it within the context of them looking like they're from the world of magic. If you look at the Carl Critchlow uh, Wormcoil engine, for example, that that can't look like anything else except for Magic the Gathering. And it's so amazing and yet so different to the classic uh, Raymond Swanland artwork that we already have for Wormcoil Engine. Two artworks that we already have for Wormcoil Engine from him. If you look at the Wayne Reynolds Blightsteel Colossus, can't be any game except for Magic. And yet it looks so fresh and different to the Chris Iran one. If you look at the Scott Fisher um, Force of Will, well, we've had several arts for Force of Will. 
two of them are from Therese Nilsson, so obviously that was a point of contention already where people wanted an updated artwork. But the Scott M. Fisher Force of Will is just phenomenal for a card that already has several iconic artworks, and yet it still looks like Magic the Gathering. And mm-hmm. I just don't know if there's any better example about how this game has managed to keep reinventing itself and still mm. look like the world that it inhabits you know it just it just it's blown me away and for me i think if we're going to pull back like we just did with theros and being like well theros story was the issue that we're unhappy with but really it's an issue at large with telling a story across multiple medias and if we're going to zone in on like being like the artwork this like i think double masters is for me the pinnacle of magic art for this year and is one of the flavor highs and doesn't get enough credit for what it is but if we pull back yeah the the artwork for 2020 magic the gathering i just i can't think of a better year for magic yeah, art. i don't think it's i don't think you can yeah it's little things again like the chromox the chromox exploration i look at these cards mm-hmm. i mean the cultivate <laughs> the cut that, that yeah, thing, the yeah card, it's like, not even the double like, masters like m21 no. had storm simulacrum it had cultivate scavenging like, news honestly yeah. some of some of the cards this this year are like like you can salivate over them um so yeah i think they've done an amazing job of art style diversification that feels integrated i think this is why i know um it's not technically 2020 um but i feel like this informed a lot of 2020 decisions is that the way they managed to integrate such a um, overtly different style with the uh, adventure showcases but still make them feel like magic cards when they kind of have no right to because it's got two text boxes at the bottom the frame's completely different the art styles are completely different if you can get pull that off then i feel like that was kind of what gave them the freedom to then do everything else they did this year mm. and they didn't hold themselves back on pushing the envelope um again it's much better to make everyone take a step back and kind of go oh wait maybe i don't like this because they've then taken a step back and they're looking at it properly um because that will usually pull people in then have everything just feel kind of wishy-washy and everyone kind of go uh i mean yeah i suppose i mean the biggest example for me for this is i'm looking at um a sheet that has all 40 of the box toppers off um open and the thing that stands out to me most of all obviously is jason weisskopf because it's the only one that doesn't have a, a new artwork and the fact that That's it's true. so ob- the fact it's so obvious out of all all of those is it, this is what shows that they they do create and they cultivate um, artistic environments with these sets. This isn't just an individual card, individual card basis. You've got to think about this, as you say, from from an artistic um, direction point of view. That there's they've created this set as a whole. A really good example of this is when Magani um, um, Villeneuve did the Golgari direction for um, um, uh, Ven- uh, Allegiance. Allegiance. I couldn't think of the word Allegiance for some reason. Um, that was really- no, sorry, Guilds of Ramica, because yeah. that was yeah. I. I did Golgari in that pre-release. Uh, yeah. and it's the fact they're able to have this kind of this this um in like this kind of feeling where it encapsulates the whole set as a whole um within these diverse art styles i think that's really really important um i think it is it has been a fantastic year and it's elevated each of the sets i feel like argue arguably this is another reason why theros felt, felt flat because the constellation effect is maybe one of the ones that didn't have the same kind of heightened effects maybe they should have done all the escape cards kind of focus on that side of it so the constellation side when they did this also the secret layer constellations maybe yeah, that was the point because they they've attached they the the idea is that they've attached the showcases to whatever the new mechanic is. So you're right. Mm-hmm. So in Eldraine, it was the uh, adventure sorcery, it was the adventure spell cards, which had the two sides of the card. In um, Zendikar, it was the landfall cards. They were the ones, regardless of their rarity or whatever, they were the ones that then got the showcase treatment. But you're right for you take for Coria, yeah, exactly. and then yeah, Theros. They went, we'll do like the god creature type cards or the god demigod cards which isn't Mm. a bad thing it's just interesting that yeah they with that one it's almost like they went 
it was it was like a top down thing. So in the other ones, it's like we have this new mechanic. Okay, what card should we? Should we'll just make the rule that the new mechanic is the one we give the showcase to. Okay, that's fair enough, and they go off and do that. And for Theros, it was top down. It was like we want to use these constellation artworks for gods. Okay, mm. is gods a mechanic? Not really, but some of the cards would be gods and demigods. Okay, yeah. well we'll do it for that one then. <laughs> it was a exactly. kind of a weird reversal. Um, and I mean, it shouldn't like be that them. way around. I think. For, no, don't worry. It's not that I don't like them, but I think it's why maybe it resonates slightly less and maybe that's why i felt um they fell is because adventure cards in the showcase showed off eldraine in its specificity whereas oh yes okay constellation is specific to like nyx is very specific to um theros and the basic lands really good example of how they can do that how can they create basics that feel like they're from that plane but if the focus Mm. was supposed to be on this underworld escaping aspect that should have been the focus instead the focus all seemed to be on this demigod kind of side of things which was the least explored in all of the story so that that's i think that's exactly the point that that lack of cohesion between the story they're trying to tell on the cards and the story they're able to tell out in external formats and i think that's maybe again where it fell short whereas something like double masters you don't need there isn't a story to, to carry apart from each card to kind of carry its own weight and its own um, integrity which they did a fantastic job of this is why things like dark steel colossus look so um, sorry blight still looks so good um stoneforge for example looks so good all of the swords um have been lapped up by a lot of our play group because they're iconic representations of iconic cards um and the fact mm. they're able to do that all justice was yeah very impressive yeah and it's interesting the swords are a, a, an interesting one because one of the one of the uh sort of criticisms i suppose of the sword cycle for the double masters box toppers was that they weren't the chris ran like illustrated ones like mm. you know chris, that's such an iconic cycle of artworks for all those cards people kind of thought oh well you know really those are the ones you want but as as great as the chris run ones are you can't deny that the uh, Double Masters box topper ones didn't tell a narrative story for each one of those mm-hmm. individual swords. And I think for all of those cards, like the Fatal Push, for example, is another one where the narrative story on that box topper art way outstrips maybe the playability of the card, or even, you know, some people, that was a card that for some people we discussed at the time, kind of thought, well, the art style is a bit weird. It's It's a very specific art like for that card we're not quite sure what it's trying to tell or what it's trying to do but for those people in the know of like this Kaladesh story or maybe people who kind of picked up on the visual signifiers that was definitely a narrative over design choice for that artwork Mm -hmm. and I you know I think that's great and this is also it's weird we touched on it a little bit just now this has been kind of the year for basic lands as well (laughs) Mm -hmm. as far as like interesting things going on like I mean in Zendikar we obviously got the full arts which you know is Zendikar is what Zendikar does you know but we also had the constellation lands in Theros, the full art mm-hmm. constellation lands, which, I mean, polarizing again. People could say that that's a, a year loss rather than a year win. Mm-hmm. But also, the energy, cards, at, yeah. the energy cards. <laughs> well, oh, God, so unfair. Like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, See, that's the thing. I say it jokingly because I'd actually quite. I, I like the fact they did something different, and I quite like the, that 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 trigger in my head that crosses the IPs together. I don't mind that so much. Um, I guess it, it might shake some people up the wrong way, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, uh, sorry, I'm just looking up the artist for them. Oh yeah, Sam Burley. Yeah, poor Sam Burley. <laughs> like, yeah. Did an amazing job, and yeah, people still compare them to the Pokemon cards. But not just the, the Theros lands, but also if you look at the M21 lands. M21, as much as it's a core set and people... Core sets are a weird one, right? Because people people really loved the fact that core sets came back. And yet, actually, as a set, people seem so nonplussed by core sets. But when they're not there, people go nuts. <laughs> so it's kind it's of weird. a weird, it's a lose-lose situation. But M21 this year, 
was one of the most flavorful core sets that's ever existed. Yep. They re- they doubled down on the cats dogs tribes. They doubled down on Teferi, it being a Teferi set. So they had like Teferi bloody everything and a million different artworks for the Teferi cards. But they also gave the other four planeswalkers in the set their own special showcases and their showcase frames, which mm-hmm. then also went onto the basic lands. Like it's crazy. Like M21, just in a microcosm, you could talk for hours about how they pushed the envelope and I think really leveled up what a core set can be. I mean, yeah, and that's 2020 as well. Like, this is it. This is what I mean about 2020 being the year that Magic didn't necessarily, like, Magic wasn't in a bad place art-wise, but this is the year that I think they really grabbed the bull by the horns and, like, rode it to wherever it wanted to go. Um, and, yeah, it's been an absolute win. Like, I, you just can't it. dispute it. I just I just don't see how you can dispute it unless you're a hardcore, old-school Magic fan, which there are plenty mm. out there. Like, 2020 yeah. has been the best year for art collectively than any other year the games existed so this is something really low-key that we've never talked about that i don't think we'd like to talk about very often is that they even did remaster versions of certain cards in magic the gathering um magic arena so they did like an amon cat um remastering of where they did new artwork for cards like um, wrath of god i think they used yes. the artwork that was off the invocation things like that the fact that they're willing to do art um art updates and um things like that in, in Magic Arena is also really important because some people, it's the only way that they play. It's the only way for these artworks to get like more circulation, probably easier circulation because it's easier to take the digital um, product and, and move it across than it is to do it on, you know, printing out thousands upon thousands of cards. But it's that kind of thing that they're willing to pay care and attention to all of these different um like art factors is what I'm going to call it. Different things that they have to consider. Except they have a choice with every single set to go, do we do this? Do we do this? Do we do this? And they've said to seem to have said yes for most of the questions that came up. And not not and I don't I don't know who it is that's in charge of doing that or why they've done that, but I cannot complain. Yeah, as you say, this it's, it's been an undisputed triumph for the year for Magic Art, I think. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, okay, let's move on to some of our other uh, flavor highs. I know what your big one's going to be, so I'm just going to jump in with a small one just before you you dive into it. Uh, and one of my things, just to kind of flip uh, side, what we were talking about earlier with the uh, the story being the thing that we kind of feel was an issue. One of the big issues was the the storyline not being up to snuff. Is the flip side of that with the return of web fiction as of Zendikar Rising? Um, what a decision like what a decision almost out of nowhere as well like it's it's kind of easy to forget even after just one round of web fiction that the decision at least for the public to know that they're doing web fiction to it being published and then being sort of like capped off was like the space of like what a week people when mm-hmm. the web fiction's returning two days later the web fiction was up <laughs> and then they released the stories like pretty regularly like two stories a week for about two to three weeks um mad absolutely absolutely crazy that that's you know they they went from the start of the year which we say of it being like what the hell are you doing with the magic story you're either not doing it at all or you're giving it to us in a way which is almost like we have to have two different alternate universes for the same story to it being oh no here's the web fiction that you like have been craving and not only did they bring it back but to their credit as we said at the time because this was this is very recent that we spoke about this they tried to push the envelope even then. They didn't just do, here's some online web fiction. They gave us the the sort of the new format of there being a main set of story and a side set of story with different writers taking on different responsibilities across those uh, two sort of tracks. Um, yeah, crazy. Like, I mean, wh- now that you've got a bit of distance from it, like, what are your thoughts and feelings on, on the web fiction? I'm 
it's it's funny because I have I have this written down as kind of the end of we, we got so caught up in the negativity of Theros I forgot to finish on the highlight that was that yeah the fact they managed to come and um and finish off the year with something that's like that that's so much more encouraging than starting off the year lacking story because it kind of makes you feel like okay good going into next year this is the direction they're likely to take with things not only are they going to give us the perspective of the planeswalkers which obviously they should do because I think that as much as the Gatewatch um got a lot of kickback i think that did drive the story in a really confident and positive fashion as much as i didn't like the things that happened within the story of battle for zendikar i feel the way that the story was presented was great and that's the kind of almost like um the the the, the standard they should be doing it as um the only thing i will say is it kind of felt like you know when like uh, dad dad forgets your birthday and so makes up for it by giving you something way more than you than you were supposed to get for your birthday a week later <laughs> and that they did they gave us both storylines at the same time might have been their way of going well we really want to give it to we really 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 want to give this to the audience let's go and they didn't necessarily stop and think oh okay we could probably drip it in a little bit more and give them time to absorb it a little bit more good example of this is um spice eight rack not being able to keep up with the the number of articles that were released a week because he was trying to do feedback on them and it was a it was a good showing and a good indication um of how I love that they've they've, they've done like almost like a, a 180 on it. Um, I feel like now that they've seen that 180 work, take your time with it. Don't sure. don't overindulge it. Don't overdo it. Don't but but at the same time, don't stop. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, don't stop. I'd rather be inundated yeah. with anything else. Um, and I feel like the reaction that they got from the audience was um, universally positive. Again, doing both main story characters as well as showing the a world building aspect with um, Akiri, Zareth and a few of the other stories that kind of showed what happened outside of the, um, of the main story arc, I think is very important with creating diversity across a plane and get, giving us something that we want to get our teeth into giving us more. We don't mind you leaving questions open. Just don't give us half an answer and they'll never explain what the question was before it. This is why certain things don't work. Give us all of, give us answers, give us vague answers if you want to, because then our minds can go with the rest of it, but just give us a decent question and follow it up properly, which is exactly what I feel like they did with Zendikar Rising. They could have easily yeah, flushed sure. that up and they didn't. I think it's interesting. I think the, they have to have a real think about how they want to move forward with, what different mediums they put the story into. Because if you look at something like the the ebooks that they did, the story in them, if you kind of divorce them slightly from the cards, the stories in them were good Magic the Gathering stories set in the Magic the Gathering universe. It's certainly a lot more coherent and a lot more relevant than some of the older Magic novels where, you know, the characterizations of certain, you know, f- characters that were the, the faces of the game, like Jason and um, Gideon, for example, really didn't match up with what, the rest of the game was talking about like those aren't necessarily the issues that we're we're talking about with these ebooks in in terms of the characterization of people i mean obviously the ikoria one was pretty egregious with how different it was like from the artwork on the on the cards but the eldraine book for example was a really good kenrith story like you got a feeling for who these characters were were on the cards we didn't necessarily have them before so i wonder if moving forwards with the web fiction if the web fiction maybe sits in the space where it's very grounded and the web fiction is what connects itself to the set so if you want the story of kaldheim if you want the story of strixhaven as it's told on the cards that's what they use the web fiction for but then if they want to still do these ebooks they can do these like one-off stories where maybe will like the kenriths are the people who drive the the ebooks or maybe we'll have once in a while we'll have a Davriel Kane ebook, or we'll have an Akiri Lineslinger ebook, where it's just like a story on Zendikar. So like how we used to have those one shots in the web fiction, which weren't attached to a set, 
It was just this year in the story article, we're going to go back to Ravnica and we're going to see what Taser Karlov's doing. Maybe that's what we use the ebooks for. So they can do a little novella where it's like 300, 350 pages, but they're not necessarily having to tie themselves down, down to what's represented on the cards because that's what the problem is, is the mm. fact that the cards don't match up with the story. So I kind of wonder what they're going to go back to. I just think it's a massive flavor win that they've decided to go like, actually, the people who read these uh, narratives are the people who play the game. Not It's not divorced. They are connected and it does matter. So we're going to make it accessible. We're going to put it back on the website where we advertise our game. We're also going to have these story articles and we're going to have a greater sense of like connectivity. I mean, for, for me, just because it was when I was really seriously getting into the storyline as something that I took as seriously as the game, for me, the kind of golden age of linking up the story with the cards was pretty much like uh, Amonkhet, Kaladesh, Amonkhet, and um, Ixalan, where they really started to strive. And then obviously the Shadows of Innistrad stories were over as well. But that whole kind of era, um, sort of Tarkir, like Magic Origins onwards, really, I suppose, is where they really sort of like doubled down on the fact that the narrative was important. And so I think they need to get back to that. And this, yeah. doing the web fiction, is definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, the difficult thing with that, I guess, is that if you look at it um, subjectively, that, that that all those stories were kind of in the build-up to The War of the Spark, and they maybe had an extended universe of continuity that allowed that story to build better, and they might not have that opportunity going forwards. I mean, this is one of the things that I think we're... we're probably sit on on the same side of is that we'd rather have stories that span multiple set arcs if you plan them in advance if you do like the kevin feige thing with like they did the mcu of where you create um an extended universe and everything happens within it instead of kind of going oh and then adding on to the end adding on to the end adding on to the end with all of these we've still got a few different threads up in the air like the phyrexians um like, I mean, maybe not the uh, Chain Veil anymore, the Raven Man, but these are the kinds of things that if you build into this extended universe effectively and then kind of get the story beats going up to them, that's going to deliver way more than having each set have an individual um, kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When it's like enclosed of itself, like a standalone, mm. each standalone story might not deliver so well. But then the thing is, then that's fine because that's in isolation. Because even if, like, say, the... Um, if uh, the Son of Bond fell short, or, or if, they, for example, the Theorist Beyond Death um, book, had they released it, fell short, that's in isolation. That's not too bad if you don't do this big extended one. So I guess it's interesting to see going forward which of these they're likely to do. Are they going to do another sweeping arc where they have this building story, which they might do with um, Karametra, uh, Ka- not Karametra, um, Strixhaven Lass. What's the woman mm. from Strixhaven? Oh, um, God damn it. <laughs> Kadina Kazmina. Kazmina, good God, right? So, right, this is another problem with magic because too many names are similar. But yeah, I would, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In general, I think they've done a fantastic job of um, tie it close to the sets um, and keep and keep it keep it as you say relevant um, relevant to the cards. Also, really good writing uh, finds in AT Greenblatt and uh, Miguel Lopez, especially who are two of the four writers that were on. That probably had a lot to do with it as well, as they were both very like the way they delivered the stories felt very um, true to magic storytelling. Whereas some of the other writing we've had, um, especially from external writers, doesn't feel like the way the characters would speak. Um, obviously, this is nitpicking um, significantly because everyone wants their character to be written a specific way, but that is something to be said for for sure. Yeah. Give me Nikki Drayden. Get Nikki Drayden back, man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm desperate for it. I really loved her writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, hopefully we do see her again. I'm not sure if we will, but hopefully we do. Uh, we'll see. All right. Cool. That was my little jump in then. Go on then. What's your, I know what your big flavor win of the year is, and it is a big one. Why don't you, uh, why don't yeah. you take us through it? 
So mine's, um, as to, to quote um, Gavin Ferhey, um, the year of Commander. Um, now, looking in retrospect, was it a success or not? Um, I think it was a fantastic success. What I've written is it's a fantastic focus on unfocusing the format. Um, now, what do I mean <laughs> by this? Um, what I mean by this is that the number of new legends that have been released over the last year, the different uh, support that we've seen um, across colours has created, in my opinion, a greater diversity in the format than most years I, that I've been playing. Um, I feel like they've did a fantastic job of... Because an issue that Wizards has sometimes is when they focus on a format, like we say Modern Masters, they can kind of break it a little bit. And weirdly enough, touch wood, we've still got you know testing to go forwards with, but I don't feel like in a year's worth of product kind of designed and pushed towards a commander format, they haven't broken it. I mean, that's it's interesting. Already, yeah. Questionable, but I mean, CDH is a whole different beast anyway. But they've done. There's nothing egregious, and that's that's surprising to me. That is shocking to me. Like if everything. I think, well, it's interesting. I think in the same breath, because I agree. Like I specifically, I think I would say Commander Legends would be my if I was to pick something in the year of Commander to be a flavor win. Commander Legends specifically, but it's interesting across the whole year from the Ikoria, um Commander decks onwards. If you like, there are some pushes where you've gone they've designed it for commander and actually it's it's not great there are certain cards like say like the free spell cycle from the Ikoria precons some of those are a bit like uh, but then they were designed at the relatively same time as commander legends commander legends has been in development for years and years in fact according to many people who've worked on it and weirdly from going from certain cards have been designed from commander maybe they're going to mess up this format to commander legends where people were worried it was going to be the modern horizons issue but it was actually the complete opposite where they put in a bunch of really wonky interesting mechanics made for commander but not made just to make commander egregiously more powerful i think you're right it's been a it's been a crazy old year for for the year of commander it's been uneven but i think a net win for sure yeah, so I think even those that free spell cycle, the reason I don't mind that so much is because that line that says, if you control a commander, the whole point of the set is supposed to be based around commanders and not making cards like, you know, um, Prosh um, or say back in the day, Rafik, um, you know, the, the boogeymen of the of the format, say things like Brea or Merin, like there hasn't been like a new, I mean, I'm probably over, uh, there's probably a massive oversight that I'm having here in my head, but there hasn't been like a new boogeyman of the format that everyone's had to go like, oh no, um, Narset's taking extra turns or back and forth like even something like obeka like no one's actually thinking oh that's egregious i mean yes okay she could do some egregious things but this is very different say something like um okay fair enough negative side something like say chulane or um corvold they haven't seemed to done up after the brawl and we'll, we'll put that down to that being the brawl format and the brawl format being wonky but they haven't actually had that many more of those kinds of errors in as you say the legends set um and i feel like that's a, a something to that's definitely something to write home about because i it's a very difficult format to cr- keep exciting without pushing the envelope to the point of it slipping. Yeah, there's there's been a few cards individually that, from a gameplay perspective, has threatened it. Like in the Ikoria precons, it was Kalamax and Zyrus were both two commanders that people were like, oh, these might be a bit too much, but then actually proved to be relatively okay, the both of them in their own way. Um, the Jeweled Lotus from Commander Legends, as soon as that was spoiled, everyone threw their toys out the pram. But we- weirdly... If we're talking from a flavor perspective, Jeweled Lotus is amazing. The fact mm-hmm. that they've been able to do a commander-specific Black Lotus card with incredible artwork by Elena Dana, lo- no less. You know, mm. that card, if you look outside of a gameplay perspective, really just highlighted why Commander Legends was such a huge win because they were able to do these callbacks to the flavor of old, especially with all the legends that, you know, 
did callbacks to older characters or maybe if they weren't the characters themselves hinted at to older storylines whatever or to planes which people wanted to see again and were able to introduce them in new ways that didn't yeah as you say completely bust the format open from a gameplay perspective like it's I just don't know how you can think of Commander Legends or the Year of Commander really in general as anything but an absolute win. And there are people who are detracting it from a, I guess, from a commercial standpoint. It was a bit of a full-on marketing strategy that kind of rinsed every one of their wallets. And obviously, massively unfortunate timing that 2020 is also the year that the world went into a pandemic lockdown and it's the one format which you need to have multiple players for, of course, like things like mm-hmm. the OEDH has softened that, but not everyone has access to it. So it has been tricky from that aspect. But from a from a leveling up of the game's aesthetic and the game's creative and narrative drive, like it's been an absolute boon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so three things I was, was going to say from Legends specifically is they managed to make partners that didn't break the original partners and the diversity of decks that I've seen because of this is incredible. Um, the fact they did etched foilings on all of the old favourites, so even your old decks that you're like, oh, do I do I take it apart because you've got all this new spice and all this new stuff? Now nah, you get a new etched foiling for your Legend. Like, spruce it up. How long <laughs> going? That's amazing. Um, the fact that Boris... I played a four-way Boris game the other day with four different Boris decks, and yes, okay, my deck was a Zerd of the Dawnwaker, so it was very um, equipment-heavy. But the, the fact we were able to play a four-way boris game and it felt like a normal game of of of, of commander like we had um a bell borker deck in there that was doing interesting in, in, exiling things and like the, the fact that they managed to diversify white and boris as archetype as like archetype specifically because they were the ones that are highlighted as being quite um stunted um that is also a fantastic win um the fact that they did a commander collection that yes okay financially you might consider it money grabbish depending on what country you're from i think availability and price points obviously vary depending on where you're from but for Mm. me personally it was a much needed way for me to get a silver library into my hands thank you it was almost like a gift from god direct to my brain um well also we spoke about this in last week's episode this brings us right up to this end of the year like narratively and creatively speaking that commander collection was a complete success mm-hmm. monetarily and commercially speaking your mileage will vary very widely and justifiably but from a hey look at this weird new artwork and these deep narrative pools that we're putting onto commander staples like yeah fuck yeah it was great i can't see how you can think it wasn't from that angle mm-hmm. you know yeah and then to tie the whole episode together, one of the things that I noticed is that things like showcases and secret layers, these aren't for your grinders. These aren't the tournament grinders that are probably putting in hours to get to Platinum on Arena before they go off to do their in-person format. Obviously, you can't even do it this year. But showcase cards and secret layers, they're for the pimpers. And who are pimpers, usually? They're going to be the real commander players. So not only do you have a diversity of different archetypes, um, it, things like monarchy getting more um, getting more, um, more support and everything, but now your card types within your decks, like the staples, the cards, things like Solemn, like Cultivate, you get to pimp these up like a motherfucker. Like, if you're a whale out there and you love this format, you've had an absolute year, because you're not only getting amazing products, these are cool box toppers, but you've also got products that are specifically made for your format. You know, you've got cards like, say, Neverinio, if you want to be that douchey staxy player or you've got things like rebecca if you want to go crazy and on a new on a new combo format and yet again these all fit within the same like they made a mana burn they made mana burn a thing again andy man like, <laughs> yeah they did yeah. It's, it's just everything about everything about that focus i think like the threat going into the year was uh are they going to 
are they going to ruin the format? And halfway through the year with Akoria coming out, you were like, maybe, maybe they are, because we've still got Legends to come out. We've still got all this to come out. And then Legends have come out and it's completely satisfied. my. Again, this is a year that started for me with having a lot of trepidation and it's ended with a lot of confidence going into next year. Sure. Um, I would normally think of, say, um, a Harry Potter theme kind of set, um, some eventually getting cowed. I'm not seeing Phyrexia, all of these things. I was like, oh, no, how do I feel about all it? And now I'm like, bring it on. I don't think you can do no wrong. Um, the only thing I will stand by saying um, is that maybe, maybe we maybe we need to slow down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe there are too many Skrorax and Vampiric tutors in the format now. Uh, I mean, you know, that beyond those kinds of slight things, I don't think you can get away with because as long as you keep pouring more into the into the format, there will obviously be points of it will overspill at some point um, unless you you know create some holes at the bottom. Um, so yeah, I think that's an inevitability. But for the for the whole, I think the format is super healthy now. There's, is as you say, in a year that's really difficult because you can't play the format in the way that it was supposed to be played. People have risen above it because the, the wizards have made cards that make people fight against the adversity, get a webcam, meet up with people, push to play these cards. It, if they did a flat year for Commander, I, don't, I reckon the format could have not died out, but it would have definitely had a depression because people were like, well, I haven't got any cards to be excited about. I don't have the opportunity to play without putting a massive amount of effort into it. Uh, do I bother? Or instead, I've played more magic in the last week than I probably have in the last two years. Sure. So. Um, I got a vampiric tutor and a skull rack in the same box. Yeah, well, maybe that's where my uh, my anger comes from because I, I got I got seraphic greatsword and Phyrexian triniform. So good for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think scroll racks all that. You know, doing it a completely different episode. It is on Maelstrom Wanderer. And I, well, I don't know. I, I had it in a Belb deck just to play it because I built a Belb deck out of the Commander Legends box that I had, and I've now moved it into Zyrus to get a bit more card filtering, I suppose. Um, I've been locked out on the same four cards on top of my deck more times than I haven't been, though. Yeah, well, it's like so first game. It's like, oh, this is what scroll like lock feels like. It's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the best feeling. Great. Pay one uh, mana yeah. to see the same four cards again. <laughs> okay, hey, at least it's only one mana. <laughs> Just yeah, that's true. Yeah, oh, misery. Fantastic. Good. Vampiric <laughs> yeah. 2 is, is very, very nice. Mm. Um, all right. Well, what's been your. This is nothing to do with magic, really. This is to do with our podcast. This is essentially. This will be the last episode of the year, and the first episode of next year will be our one-year sort of birthday, if you like. What's been your high this year doing this show? We are at almost exactly a year old. I mean, we've done 53 episodes, which is technically more than one a week, because we did a a few records at the end of 2019. Like, Mm. What's been your flavor high, or even just your high doing this podcast over the past year? Um, I think it's been like the. Com- it's going to sound super wet, but the community integration is is massive. I mean, you're. There's, it's, I'm not going to. I'm going to be transparent here. You are way better at this than I am in terms of integrating yourself, involving yourself with other people, communicating. Um, but the, even the, the few interviews that we've done, um, and the the little amount that I engage with in terms of their social media and um, the community as a whole is phenomenal. Like I think this has been a really good year in terms of you could everyone could have fell flat or they could have pulled together and doing this show has been a fantastic example of how especially the magic community and i think this is actually across most like quote unquote nerdy things like gaming like um, um speedrunning that kind of thing the community aspect of it is so tight-knit and so supportive and it's been great to kind of integrate myself slowly uh, but surely into that you know having skirted and and and, and peered um and, and and looked at it from afar for almost a decade it's quite nice to you know say dip dip the toes in um you know and I think that's been a fantastic... Yeah, for sure. I think I'd have to say that as well. Like, obviously speaking to individual members of the community in our interview episodes and and having more of a sort of 
a tailored eye to the game, I suppose, is is in heightening my own understanding of what I love and what I like about this game. It's definitely a high. It's it's the community aspect. It's getting to know people, not only from around the world, but even other people within the UK who we might not have been able to get to know better. Like Total MTG, Matt from Total MTG, for example, is is someone who's been really supportive and a, and a great friend to our podcast. And we don't even necessarily deal in the same content whether it like format or content wise, but just as a, a fellow magic player and someone who's kind of just into being part of the magic community and, you know, Zuby across the pond and everyone else that we've integrated with is, have, have been absolutely fantastic. Um, I mean, <laughs> my biggest thing has been able just to get to chat to you every week. I don't I mean, this is going to sound the wettest of all. Like, in a year where I think you and I have seen each other maybe a handful of times physically. And, you know, we've been friends for a, over a decade now and, you know, I've seen you less in the flesh this year than I have at any other time of us knowing together. And yet being able to talk to you every week, pretty much on the dot, about mm. a game that we both love has been an absolute joy and God knows a, a huge help to my mental well being over the course of this year. So yeah, yeah, I would say that's that's been my f- highlight of the year. Well, cheers, buddy. Appreciate it. No worries. Uh- in terms of specifics, um there is um, I could say the highlight of my year is happened this last year and that was um I bought the Secret Lair Void Slime, um, the Slime Prime Time Grime one, um, and the first and only use I've had of it so far is to counter the ultimate of a Teferi Master of Time activation, <laughs> which I will say right now, guys, and this is one of the things I'm gonna, the reason I end on it is because if you are finding yourself, especially going into the new year, there might be this might be more of this. If you are umming and ahhing about whether or not this is something you want to be doing, please try to, if you are feeling that you can't play enough, try to get a webcam. Try to find some fashion of getting yourself integrated into playing with other people on Spell Table, whatever format, because it is such a huge boon to your daily life to have that little something to look forward to. As Andy just said now, this little interaction, this continuation of what can feel like normal. Um, and I think it's really important to, for, for mental health to have these things. It's very easy to sit and spend each day going, oh, I don't get to play. I don't get to play. The-. Find a way to do so in whatever way you can, uh, because it will make everything feel a little bit less challenging and it will make you feel a little less stress and it will and it will give you a little bit more enjoyment enjoying your life. What's better than stopping a Deferi Ultimate with a voice like okay? <laughs> Agree. I think, yeah, if I was to maybe, I 100% agree with that. Um, yeah, Spell Table has definitely, definitely been a massive boon. And like, good luck to the 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 peeps who made Spell Table and run it because, God, they've had a hell of a year. Um, I suppose if I had to pick like one physical like card in my collection that I'm like, yeah, that's my flavor pick of the year in terms of artwork or just whatever else. I'm, there's so many to pick from. Um, I do have a full art Wayne Reynolds Blightsteel Colossus that he mm-hmm. very kindly signed for me because you can, some artists, if you mail them your cards with different stipulations on things like pricing and times uh like uh time frames and all this kind of thing some artists do sign cards for fans and after we had our uh, conversation with him i did tell him that i actually purchased uh, one of the full art versions of his blight still and he very kindly uh, said for me to send up to him and he'd sign it so i do have a signed Wayne Reynolds Blightsteel Colossus that had a little uh, first written in the corner, like 1ST. And I messaged him being like, hi, Wayne, thank you very much for the card. What does this mean? And he went, well, that's the very first Blightsteel that I've ever signed. Because of course, because there's no um, like fests or there's no expos going on where they would usually sign hundreds of a card a day. There's none of that going on. So the only chance they're getting to sign cards is when people send them to them. So I have like a first edition <laughs> Wayne Reynolds signed Blightsteel, which I'm pretty stoked about that really. that's That made my 
several months if not as not made of the year so yeah thanks wayne if you're listening um it's definitely the most treasured card in my collection for sure well well guys uh that's gonna do us for our yearly roundup um what were your flavor highs and lows of the year you can let us know uh by hooking us up on twitter at mt flavoring we're on there every day uh nathan very kindly said that it's me doing a lot of the twitters which is true but nathan is also on there uh flexing his boris wins like he was the other day um if you want to chat to us on twitter we are always up for conversations one of our listeners has recently uh started a thread with us talking about soundscapes of the multiverse for example where we've been chatting about what different instruments or musical styles or kind of periods of music you would find on different planes it's been a really interesting conversation so much more intelligent conversation than we would typically for engaging so oh yeah for sure usually i do polls about like you know which which plane has the best beer to drink and then yeah this guy came along and was like oh yeah which plane do you think would have the best orchestral music and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna have to brush that's an actual thing i play music like i i play like several like woodwind instruments and stringed instruments i can read music and even that i was like oh my lord i have to like actually research stuff now so yeah it was definitely a higher conversation than i was expecting but yeah go check it out there uh emails go to empty uh oh no it doesn't emails go to yeah empty flavoring at gmail.com i just remembered our email stumble um, in, stumble out. i love it this is good i mean gosh, I, i've only said it 53 times this year it's fine uh my personal twitter is at andy manface nathan's yours is at the fox in the moon uh and yeah i guess that all that remains to say guys because i think we've said more than enough for the year of 2020 is thank you so much for listening this has been magic the flavoring i'll see you next year